a couple of weeks ago, I was having breakfast with my dad. Every once in a while, my dad and I get together and go out to breakfast. It was a Saturday morning a couple of weeks ago. And we sat down and we got our food and my dad was like, okay, I got some questions for you. He says to me, he says, how are things going at church? Now he often does this. This is one of his favorite questions. How are things going at church? And I said, you know what? Things are going pretty well at church. He asked about, a different, he asked about some issues that are happening at church and he asked about a number of different people and how they were doing. And I assured him that everything is well at church. He then asked me the question, that has been asked of me a number of times over the past year. It's been on a number of people's minds this past year. He asks, and how is the giving? And I said, you know what, Dad? The giving is great. The giving is great. In the midst of a difficult year, in the midst of a year of unrest, in the midst of all this COVID craziness, in the midst of attendance issues and watching online and all of the different stuff that's going on. The giving is great. His response, yeah, God is good and Calvary is a giving church. And I thought to myself, you know what? God is good and Calvary is a giving church. Now I'm a little biased. I think this place is the greatest church on earth. And I love you. But I got to thinking about the amount of giving that's happening and it is amazing how God has provided. Because God is good and Calvary is a giving church. I'd like to share some numbers with you this morning. Now I know all of you are not into numbers but these are so interesting in highlighting God's provision. So look at this. First, our annual budget is close to $8 million a year. And up until this point, we are only $59,000 behind our annual expected givings. That is less than 1%. It is actually a little bit less than 0.8%. God has provided. And we actually have a pretty substantial surplus as well, but God only hasn't provided for our annual budget. There has been additional giving that has taken place this year. Look at these numbers. For the Jerusalem project, $450,000 given this year. For the Jonathan Fund, $180,000 given this year. For Celebrate Missionaries, $112,000 given this year. For the Benevolence Fund, $466,000 given this year. These numbers are all in addition to the regular budget of $7.9 million. That Benevolence Fund goes to people who are in need within our church, who have financial needs within our church, and those who have financial needs within our community. 100% of that money goes to people who have financial needs. And look what's happened over the last five years. Over the last five years, this church has given $2.2 million to people who are in need within this church and within, with need within the community of Grand Rapids. God is good. And yes, God is good and Calvary is a giving church. But I'd like to share with you, I have three reasons why I really shared these numbers with you. The first reason is praise be to God forever and ever, amen. 
God, yes, God has provided. He has worked his grace in and through your hearts. He has demonstrated his faithfulness, his generosity, and his kindness to us. Glory be to God. That is first and foremost. Second, thank you. Thank you for listening to the spirit of God's prompting in your hearts to cause you to give. You could have rejected God's spirit. You did not choose to reject God's spirit. You chose to respond to God's spirit and give. Thank you. And then third, this morning we come to our last message in the book of Philippians. And in this last message, Paul talks to you and to me about generosity, about giving. He talks to us about money. We have been going through this book of Philippians verse by verse. And the verses this morning deal with generosity and giving. And this is a giving church. And I am honored to be able to serve God here at Calvary Church. But I want to tell you, this morning... God has more for us. He has more for you and he has more for me. He is calling us to something greater and something better in and through our generosity and our giving. You see, God is calling us to do more for his kingdom. We have given much. We have sacrificially given for his kingdom and for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But my friends, there is more to do. And God has given us a purpose. And this morning through these verses at the end of the book of Philippians, he is going to share with us the purposes he has for our generosity and giving. And in all of this, we have been fighting for joy through the book of Philippians. And this morning, God is going to share with us that our joy is connected to our generosity and our giving. You see, this morning, God wants to convince us that we are to give extravagantly to him in our worship. You see, he is calling us to extravagant worship through our giving. And this morning, he's gonna do that through three principles and a promise. Three principles and a promise. If you remember last week, it was three steps and a secret. This week, three principles and a promise. So take your Bibles. Open up to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four for one last time. Hopefully it's not the last time you ever open the book of Philippians. (laughs) But one last time within this series. Page 953. If you do not have a Bible, grab the one from the rack in front of you. Follow along. That way you do not, you know I'm not making this stuff up about money. Because for us, one of the other reasons I share this information is I don't want you to think that this is some pulpit power play in order to raise a big offering. Calvary Church is in good financial situation because God is good and you have provided giving. But this is what God has to say to us this morning regarding our generosity and our giving. I've mentioned a number of times that this book of Philippians is essentially Paul's thank you note to the church at Philippi. He's writing to thank them for the financial gift and gifts that they have given, particularly the gift that they gave to him while he was in prison in Rome. And this final paragraph of this letter contains a direct statement 
about their gift. In verses 10 through 14 through 20, Paul continues the subject that he began in verse 10. And he adds to his point by highlighting more details of the Philippians' financial gifts. So remember, three principles and a promise. The first principle, the first principle of more generous giving and living is to engage the partnership. Engage the partnership. Look at verses 14 through 16. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You see, Paul's relationship with the Philippians was special. No wonder he loved this church so much. They had provided for him. They had cared for Paul within his deepest needs. When Paul first visited Philippi, some 10 years before he writes this letter, you'll recall Paul and Silas come to the city of Philippi and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're beaten, they're ridiculed, they're mocked, they're eventually imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're released through a miraculous earthquake. They're released from prison. They go out to continue to preach the gospel, but the authorities in Philippi said, no, we're going to kick you out of the cities. So they kicked them out of the city. But these Philippians never forgot what it cost Paul and Silas to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philippi. They never forgot the sacrifice that Paul and Silas made to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they respond by sending Paul a financial gift to meet his needs and to purpose his ministry. Now look at verse four, four to 14, excuse me. 14, it says, Paul says that they did a good. It could be translated beautiful thing. They did a good or beautiful thing in helping them. He also says in this verse that they share in his troubles. The verb translated here, share in verse 14 is related to the Greek noun koinonia, which can be translated partnership. And then look at verse 15. In verse 15, it reads that no other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. The verb shared in verse 15 is slightly different than the verb shared in verse 14. But this verb in 15 essentially means a business partnership. You see, the partnership that Paul is referring to in these verses is the partnership of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Philippians have partnered with Paul to advance the gospel. And the main way they've done this is by providing a financial gift to care for Paul and so that Paul can continue the ministry of the gospel. You see, what Paul does here is he makes an inseparable relationship. There is a connection, there is a partnership between giving and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you are giving, you are a partner. If you are giving, you are a partner. And if you're not giving, it's more like, it's probably best said you're just an observer because you're not 
partnering, you're not engaging the partnership. You see, for Paul, the Philippians were partners. And I want to point out, this is not about any amount given. Notice, Paul doesn't tell us how much the Philippians gave to him in this gift or in any of the other previous gifts. Paul is just encouraging us to engage the partnership, to start, to give, to start to be part of the partnership. So don't necessarily, it's not necessary at this point, at the beginning to think about the amount. Remember, Jesus tells the story of this widow who has just two mics, she has just two small coins that she drops in the plate and it is a remarkable offering. It's not about the amount, it is about the partnership. Engage the partnership. You see, when you give to Calvary Church or any other ministry, you are engaging the partnership. What is happening is you have skin in the game. Paul recognizes that the Philippians had skin in the game. When you give to Calvary or any other ministry, you have skin in the game. You engage the partnership. The encouragement here is become a partnership. And yes, I know this means more than just time. This also includes, excuse me, time and service. That is part of what it means to be a partner. But these verses here speak specifically to money. They don't speak to time or service. So by giving, you engage the partnership, which may lead to a question for some of you. Where does my money go? When I give money to Calvary Church, where does that money go? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. When you give to Calvary Church, your money goes to keeping the lights on. Your money goes to the gas bill to keep this place heated. Your money goes to the maintenance of Calvary Church as a building, but much more importantly, your money goes to the ministry of Calvary Church because we're engaging in partnership together. So what does that mean? Well, that means we come together and we gather here to worship the money you give facilitates this worship. Yes, the lights are on. Yes, it's air conditioned this morning, but it's more than that. We have come together to this place to worship, to experience the presence of God. So your money does that, but your money also promotes the children's ministry, the middle school ministry, the high school ministry, our young adults ministry, multiple other adult ministries, Sunday school classes, small groups, Wednesday night meetings, equip classes, Wednesday night dinners soon, hopefully to come back. We have all this opportunity where we gather and we give to facilitate that gathering. Why? Because we are committed together as followers of Jesus to build into each other's life, recognizing the presence of God in this place, which is transforming each one of us to become more like Jesus Christ. Your money goes to help us all grow in Christ-likeness because this is the place where we experience more of Jesus Christ. But more than even that, one-third of the money, roughly one-third of the money that you give goes outside the walls of this church, goes to different mercy endeavors and mission endeavors in the city of Grand Rapids, in the state of Michigan, throughout the United States, throughout the world, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never, ever heard about Jesus and to those who need to hear more about Jesus. We are reaching a world that is lost and we have partnered together to be able to do that. Does that get you excited? Let me try that again. Does that get you excited? Yes. Then engage the partnership. 
Okay, principle number two. The second principle of more generous giving and living is to invest in the eternal. Invest in the eternal. Paul highlights the spiritual and eternal significance of generous giving. Look at verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Clearly, Paul is grateful to the Philippians for their gift, but he is careful what he says. He wants them to know that his joy is not a result ultimately of their gift. Remember, he is content in any and every situation. He has had plenty and he has had little and he is content in all circumstances. His joy, Paul's joy, is a result of their partnership. And it's not only a result of their partnership, it is a result of the benefit that they are going to receive. Not Paul's personal benefit, He is joyful because of the benefit that he knows that they are going to receive by investing in the eternal. Look, there's another way the ESV writes this. The translation's a bit different than our NIV translation that we use. The ESV writes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that has increased to your credit. Interesting, huh? I seek the fruit that has increased to your credit. You see, that's what Paul is after. He wants the Philippian people to experience the joy he has. And he recognizes that through giving, you are investing through your generosity, you are investing in the eternal. And as a result, you are going to experience the joy that he has. You see, what happens when we give to God, we demonstrate our godly maturity. But we're not only demonstrating our godly maturity when we give, When we give, God through his spirit is working in our lives to mature us even more, to make us even more like Jesus Christ. You see, we tend to think that God uses giving to raise funds for his church. No, God uses giving to raise his children. You see, in and through giving, God is transforming us to be more like Jesus Christ. Yes, you demonstrate your Christ-likeness, by giving, by being generous. But what God through his spirit does is when you give, he makes you more like Jesus. So do you want to be more like Jesus? We're gonna do that one again too. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Yes, then invest in the eternal and recognize that investing now by being generous makes you more like Jesus, which is a present spiritual benefit, which inures to the eternal. And then he takes us to a much more specific eternal gift. Paul says, look what he says. He desires that more be credited to your account. Huh. More be credited to your account. What does he mean by that? He's using banking terminology here. Essentially, there is a heavenly ledger sheet. There is a heavenly ledger sheet that records our generosity and our giving. When the Philippians gave this gift to Paul, God wrote down in that heavenly ledger sheet what the Philippians gave to Paul. And it is recorded for all of eternity. And God pays really, really good interest. And he's paying interest on the account. Now, I have some good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. And I'm going to start with the bad news because I always like to hear the bad news first. So I'm going to give you the bad news first. 
Bad news first. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. I know a lot of you work very hard. You provide for your families. You provide for a certain lifestyle. You have goals that you desire to meet in this lifestyle and you accumulate things. And it's not necessarily that that's all so bad. But sometimes we get a bit carried away, don't we? And you can't take it with you. You can't take your house with you. You can't take your car with you. You can't take your bank account. You can't take your 401k. You can't take your 403b. You can't take your brokerage account. You can't take that pretty bracelet you wear. You cannot take those pretty diamond earrings that you wear because you cannot take it with you. Solomon, one of the richest men who ever lived and one of the wisest wrote this. Look what he writes. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. You can't take it with you. There is nothing that you can take with you. Last week, we talked about the philosophy that some people live by. Some people live by the philosophy, he who dies with the most toys wins. You wanna know what, my friends? He who dies with the most toys still dies. And guess what? You're all going to die. Ouch. You are all going to die. Unless the Lord returns, you are going to die. And in either scenario, whether you die or whether the Lord returns, guess what? You can't take it with you. Now that may be bad news for some, but here's the good news. Look what Jesus writes. Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart may be also. You cannot take it with you, but as Randy Alcorn, the writer of The Treasure Principle says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can send your treasures ahead through your giving, through the partnership you have with Calvary Church, with other ministries that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can send your treasure ahead and notice the ledger sheet. God is keeping track of your treasure. He knows exactly what you've given. And he's telling you here in these verses, Jesus himself is telling you here in these verses that he sees you. He knows, he knows what you're doing. He knows your generosity and he's going to reward your generosity. Because moths and vermin, that means rats, cannot eat it or destroy it. That's the good news. Bad news, you can't take it with you. The good news is you can send it on ahead. So invest in the eternal. Which takes us to our third principle. The third principle is worship God. First principle, remember, gauge the partnership. Second principle, invest in the eternal. Third principle, worship God. You see, our generous giving and our generous living is a form of worship of our Heavenly Father. 
Giving is an act of worship. Verse 18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul here states that their gift is more than enough for him. But more important, he says, look again, their gift is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Here, Paul moves back to some Old Testament imagery. When the people of God through the Old Testament offered sacrifices on the altar, it says that those sacrifices, those offerings in their burnt state, the smoke went up to God as a pleasing aroma, a sacrificial offering that demonstrated their worship in a heavenly father, their worship of God. See, what Paul does here is he places the highest possible value on giving. It is an act of worship. Think about this. When we give to Calvary Church or when really you give to any other ministry, but particularly when you give to Calvary Church, you are not ultimately giving to the children's ministry. You are not ultimately giving to the high school ministry. You are not ultimately giving to the Sunday school ministry. You are not ultimately giving to missions to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not even ultimately giving to this opportunity that we have to gather here in worship. What you are doing when you are giving to Calvary Church is you are ultimately giving to God himself because it is an act of worship. It is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And notice that our giving, please recognize this. Our giving is worship, which means that our worship is more than just singing. Our worship is more than the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. Worship is much broader than just singing in praise. When we open up the word of God, we are worshiping. When we pray, we are worshiping. When we read scripture, we are worshiping. In fact, look what Paul writes in Romans 12, verse one. He writes, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What Paul is saying here is everything about your life, your whole being should be an act of worship. When we open God's word, worship. When we pray, worship. When we read scripture, worship. When we sing, worship. But all the things you do should be in an act of worship to God. When you go to your job, you are worshiping when you view it in the right perspective. All of you should be worship. And what the point is for this sermon is your giving is worship as well. Worship God, a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And you see, we get the opportunity to worship. Think about this, switch your perspective. Some of your perspective, you think to yourself, well, I have to give. It's responsibility of being a follower of Jesus. I have this huge obligation, it's such a burden. No, you have the opportunity to give to the God of the universe and he views your gift as an acceptable sacrifice. It is a pleasing aroma to him. It pleases God himself. 
You don't have to give. You get to give. Your giving is worship to God. First principle, engage the partnership. Second principle, invest in the eternal. Third principle, worship God through your giving, which leads us to the promise. Paul encourages the Philippians and he encourages you and me with this amazing promise. Look at verses 19 and 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a staggering promise. This promise, the promise here is that God will meet all your needs. All your needs. Now, this shouldn't be taken out of context. This is not a promise of prosperity and luxury. This is not a promise where God gives you a blank check to live life however you choose to live life. No, this promise is given in a context and it's conditional. The Philippians met Paul's needs and now Paul assures the Philippians that God is going to meet their needs out of his infinite resources. It's an if-then proposition. God says, if you honor me with your finances, then I will meet your needs. And this promise is for everyone who is living their life for Jesus and is giving like the Philippians. Now let's break down the promise. First, look at the source of the promise. The source of the promise. Paul says, and my God. Why didn't Paul just write, and God will meet all your needs? It's because it's personal. There's a personal relationship with Paul and God. And there is a, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is a personal relationship that you have with God. I heard somebody say this. Think about this. My God, my God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God is the God who raised up Moses and parted the Red Sea. My God is the God who raised Joshua and called him to march around the walls of Jericho and caused those walls to come tumbling down. And my God is the God of the prophets, the one who sustained them in times of difficulty and trouble, who gave them truth to speak the word of God. And my God is the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is my God. You know what, my friends? That is my God, and that is your God too. The God who did all of those things in the past, who is currently working your good out in the present, and who promises to meet all your needs in the future is your God. That's the source. And then look at what he does provide. He promises to meet all your needs. Please notice that Paul didn't say he might meet your needs or he could meet your needs, or he should meet your needs. Paul said, my God will meet your needs. And also notice, he didn't say God will meet all your wants. 
He didn't say God will meet all your desires. He said God will meet all your needs. And that means spiritual needs and it means financial needs as well. Spiritually, you may be full of fear and worry and anxiety. And your God says, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious for I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You may be wondering about your future. You may be wondering what God has for you. And God says to you, trust in me and I will direct your paths. You may be overburdened and need rest. And Jesus says to you, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you may be here this morning and you have never ever met Jesus Christ and you do not yet believe in him and you do not therefore yet have salvation. And your God says, believe. Believe in Jesus Christ and he will forgive your sins and he will give you life and life abundant and everlasting. God promises to meet all your needs. And then look at the sufficiency of the promise. God promises to supply all of our needs according to, not out of, not out of, according to the riches of his glory in Jesus. The God who holds the whole universe in his hand, the God who created everything, the God who holds this world, this earth in his hands, the God who created this earth, the God who holds you in his hands, the God who created you has promised to meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus. Do you ever feel like what you ask God is too much for him to provide? Like he doesn't have enough for you? Like you may be overburdening God? No, he promises to meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus. You see, it would be less like us trying to empty Lake Michigan with a pail. You can scoop and scoop and scoop with a pail and you are not even going to make a dent in Lake Michigan. And when you ask God to provide for your needs, you will not even make a dent in his provision because he is going to meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My friends, there is great joy in generous giving and in generous living. And God wants us to experience the joy that he has for us through Jesus Christ. And the encouragement this morning is that part of engaging and experiencing and fighting for that joy is recognizing that we need to engage the partnership. We need to invest in the eternal. We need to continue to worship God through our giving. And in a result for us is the promise is that he is going to meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. All of our needs. Calvary Church is a giving church. But my friends, God has more for us to do. He has more for us to do. And he wants each one of us to grow in this area, to demonstrate our Christ-likeness and to grow in our Christ-likeness. And as that happens, what happens is, is that a dying world sees the hope and the joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. 
we have been called to so much more than what this earth provides. We've been called to Jesus Christ and he is everything. This is the last message in the book of Philippians. And I have two things that I'd like to share with you as we close this message and as we close the book of Philippians. First, thank you. Thank you for engaging the book of Philippians with me. It has been a blessing for me. I pray that it has been a blessing for you. In a very real way, it has been my slice of joy. So thank you. Second, and more importantly, I'd like you to look at these last three verses of the book of Philippians. Look what they say. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now there's a number of things that could be pointed out from these last three verses of Philippians. I'd like to share one thing as we end this message and as we end the series. Do you notice? Do you notice that greetings came especially from those who belong to Caesar's household? This means that the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, penetrated Caesar's household. This means that there were people in Caesar's household who became followers of Jesus Christ, who came to believe. Caesar was the most powerful man in the world at the time, ruling the most powerful empire at the time. Caesar, Nero at the time, was one of the more godless men, one of the more evil men that has existed in all of history. And he could not stop Jesus or the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know because we have talked about anxiety, we have talked about fear, we've talked about worry, we've talked about contentment. I know. I know the fears. I know the worries. I know we look around at our world and we think things are crumbling and crashing down around us. We look at a government that's out of control. We look at a media that promotes propaganda. We look at things that are happening in Russia, things that are happening in China. We look at the world around us and we think to ourselves, what God in the world are you doing? My friends, nothing can stop Jesus Christ and his gospel. Your fears, my fears, recognize that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus and his gospel, we come to recognize that all things work themselves out for our good because we love him. There is nothing, yes, 
there is nothing that can stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have choices in our life where we can put our efforts, where we can spend our time, the things we can do, the things we can accumulate. None of it matters in light of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, in his gospel, will prevail every single time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.